0: We are delighted to welcome in out of Sydney, SEN in Sydney, Mr Matty White, who joins the program. How you doing, Matty?
1: Dan, good morning.
0: Mate, how good is your life over there? You've just got (laughs) sport coming out of every
1: single pore, my friend sport coming out of sport and you know what um, when we head into spring here it's going to be a very hot summer in fact it's going to be a hot NRL grand final I can talk about that in just a sec but you know you get to this time of the year Dan and we've got so much going up it's been a World Cupathon in almost every sport this year <laughs> yeah. and it's going to continue isn't it I mean if you haven't got a World Cup in your sport you are not seriously playing at an international level on so many respects so we've got that going on and the drama about Eddie Jones and where the Walla are at. Meanwhile, we've got two codes here: NRL and AFL that are going gangbusters, and they'll go back to back with their grand finals. Brisbane featuring in both of them. The Lions in the AFL and the Broncos in the NRL. And just around the corner, just around the corner, because it's starting to heat up. You can f- you can smell the money in Australia at the moment. <laughs> it's all floating around Randwick and Flemington and the race tracks of Australia because spring racing is upon us as well. So you're right. It's almost hard to keep track. I tell you what, for my show, and I don't know if you find it in your show, and I know that you're there for Smithy, but it's almost like you get to the end of the three hours and you go, oh, we could have done this and we could have done that and we could have gone there and we had so much more to do. We're going to have to do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and there's more issues. It's an extraordinary time of year.
0: You're so right. Do you know what I tend to think after most of these shows is –
1: Why on earth has at least one of these
0: sporting organisations not moved their World Cup? You know, take a breath, either do it in three years or five, because you're right, it's just one after the other, and they sort of eat each other to some degree.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to remember, too, you know, you guys lived and breathed it, and then we did it, I think, almost – it felt like it was was a World Cup on steroids, the the Women's Football World Cup, the FIFA World Cup here, and and the way that the Matildas – you know continued that ride i mean i 've been around sport a long time in this country dan and i 've seen some things and i've i've been very very lucky to have a, a first front row seat essentially at a lot of biggest of the biggest things that we 've ever had i can 't remember a time when Australia united in fact I can and I, and i 'll take you back exactly twenty three years almost to the day because for those of us that were around in Sydney when Sydney had the two thousand Olympic Games. The feel behind it, the, the surge of, of pride and nationalism around it, the Kathy Freeman story, it was a story every day. We hadn't seen that to the extent that we did with the Matildas. And that seems like so long ago already because we've now rolled into another World Cup in the Rugby World Cup and you could not find a, a different end of the spectrum. Australians yes. are over it. They can't understand it. They were so in love with the Matildas. Um, yet here they are with the Wallabies and they're just sort of going, oh, what a complete and utter mess. It's extraordinary how quickly it's turned around.
0: Well, Aussies love winners. he uh, yeah, absolutely do. Man, is, there's no shame in hiding from that. And, and Australia are up against it. They, they look like they were... Uh, They didn't have a lot of weapons to take to uh, this World Cup, but falling flat on their face at the group stage um, is unforgivable. But I'd like to know, what's been the reaction in Australia? Has it been vociferous? Has there been a lot of interest? Or dare I ask about, and and this is what I suspect and worry most about, that there's general apathy. That no one does really care at the end of the day, which I think is the most worrying sign for any sport to be in.
1: Well, funnily enough, rugby got over its apathy problem going into this because of Eddie Jones. And because of Eddie Jones, they now have quite a predicament. Is it apathy or is it just complete and utter distrust and lack of interest? So this is the extraordinary thing about where rugby Australia is at at the moment. And you're right, the, the reaction has been... Crazy, it really has. It's it's been quite damning at times. Um, The people in the firing line are Eddie and Hamish McLennan, who's the chairman of Rugby Australia, and we've got to remember that Eddie Jones picks the fight himself. That's what he does. We we know that. We've known that for a long time. He's been around the world doing that. And Rugby Australia knew that because they loved the hype as much as Eddie because they didn't have any hype. They were in a position in this country here where they had to do something to make some noise. Now, Eddie made the noise. The problem is... They didn't back it up with any results. There was no substance to that noise. And what worried me, Dan, was when I've seen the Eddie Show a million times, and I like the Eddie Show because I get where he's coming from. But before he left to go to the World Cup, he had a press conference at the airport, and he did his usual, you know, dog and pony routine where he threw out um, something to take the heat off his team. And what he did was take aim at the media right there and then. He was wearing his Akubra hat. It was all theatre but it was quite personal. He he accused them of being completely unprofessional and disrespectful. And the show, in my opinion, went a bit too far. And I said to somebody who was close to this whole thing, they're gonna have to be careful here because if they don't get any results, the world's going to come down on them harder than they can imagine. That Those that were standing there having their professionalism questioned, and this is not just vendetta stuff, it's a broader issue, but those that were having their professionalism questioned directly and quite disrespectfully, I've got to say, had every right to wait for Eddie Jones to trip up and he tripped up in a major way, not just because the Wallabies have gone out the back door in such meek fashion, but because of this whole situation with meeting with Japan beforehand, denying it, saying that he doesn't know what you're talking about mate telling the ceo that um there's nothing in this there's this stench around it at the moment that is bigger than the predicament that australian rugby finds itself in and it's going to go on for quite a while and this morning on my program i'm going to dig a bit deeper too dan because there's actually more to it that they do have a predicament But the predicaments about the coach, that'll sort itself out. He'll either stay or go. But rugby in this country has a serious and much bigger and much more perilous problem. A lot of people have been focusing on the problem that's been, that got Australian rugby to this point. The problem, however, and the reality of the problem is what's ahead because on almost every single measurement – And you can take away the emotion out of this. Rugby is on the brink of disaster. Grassroots investment. Ability to attract players. Money for players. Revenue from broadcast. Revenue overall. And then when you stack that up against the other two codes that they're fighting with in this country, AFL and NRL, well, AFL and NRL are thriving. Rugby is barely surviving. It is a real problem, a really big problem.
0: Yeah, and getting lost in the result and the fallout and... Eddie Jones, the fact that you know news during the week that, uh, that they couldn't even sell private equity in Australian rugby, and while well, they're bringing in 90 million dollars worth of debt, wow, uh, troubling times to say the least. And you've yeah. articulated it very, very well. Let's get to the bigger shows in town. Um, let's start off with the uh, NRL, the Grand Final. I'd love to get your thoughts on the game itself, but the Ems tonight. What's going to be the main storyline of that?
1: Oh, look, I, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that the main storyline is Sean Johnson because the Warriors, uh, I don't have to tell you in your backyard, the Warriors have been one of the absolute standout stories of 2023. It's been amazing to watch. Dan, I called their first game this year right here on SEN. I called a lot of their games last year. And what I saw last year was a team that just needed to go home, needed to get their interest back in football. And I know that sounds odd obvious and straightforward but it was on so many levels i called their first game with scotty satler and at the end of the game he said to me you know what and he said this on air the warriors are almost panther-like they're almost penrith-like here and as we know andrew webster who's been in new zealand before but spent a lot of time under ivan cleary goes um, to the warriors and takes over this season. And has transformed them on on every level. I saw a completely different team and energy uh, on so many levels in that very first game that you just knew it was going to be good. So hopefully tonight we can put a bow around that with Sean Johnson winning the Dally M medal. I'm not a fan of taking the points behind closed doors after round 12. I mean, what is that? <laughs> you know what purpose does that serve? We play 27 rounds these days. Um, the whole keeping of the drama things a bit silly for me. I think that Sean Johnson should be the Dally M player of the year. I think that Andrew Webster will be the coach of the year. I, I also think that Ivan Cleary um, deserves to be obviously in that discussion, and so too does Kevin Walters. But I reckon the story of the night out of the Dally M's might be that the Warriors in particular, players, coach and organisation, get the credit officially and in an awards setting that they deserve.
0: To the game this weekend, the Panthers going for uh, almost the unimaginable in the modern climate. (coughs) Salary-capped Eric winning three on the bounce. You look at some of the incredible teams we've watched over the last generation. Funnily enough, the team they're playing in the grand final, that stacked Broncos outfits in the early 90s, couldn't win three in a row, winning in Uh, 92-93. Just remarkable going for three in a row, four grand finals, of course, in a row.
1: They're an amazing squad. They're an amazing team and an incredible organisation. So what that encapsulates to me is a professionalism that is, um, you know, being harnessed... The way that they've dealt with their players that have come and gone, the way that they've dealt with their superstars, what they've been doing on the field is extraordinary. This is years and years and years in the making. This is junior footballers coming all the way through to the highest of high grades and achieving at the highest level. Um, the challenge for the Panthers has been how do you keep that going? Because once you get to the top of the mountain, the only way is down. So it's very, very hard to stay up there And that's where their true genius and true smarts have been shown. And I put a lot of that towards Ivan Cleary, the way that he's man-managed his players. It's interesting, Nathan Cleary, who's been, you know, the most dominant player of the last four or five years at the age of 25, when you go back through the last few years... He hasn't played full seasons he's been suspended he's been injured he hasn't played full seasons and I actually think that that's come back to be a positive for them because when finals comes around uh, come around this guy's fresh and they've managed to do that by fault or design and work that well so one side for me you've got this ultra professional incredibly well-oiled slick machine that is the Panthers that have been there and done it before on the other side, Dan, you've got the Broncos with this unbridled enthusiasm, with this incredibly expansive attitude. Um, Reese Walsh, as you guys well know, is the kind of player that makes a mistake, and, and he's like Dory—you know, he just forgets about it. Like, so what? I just threw—I just threw a, an intercept pass in uh, in a game that's either going to take us to the grand final or finish our season. Two seconds later, he's forgotten about it, and away he goes. That's what I love about – and that's across the board. So this is what I love about what's going to happen on Sunday night, the Panthers with their rock-solid, steady approach but absolute brilliance um, from from every position versus the Broncos with their devil-may-care attitude and absolute brilliance in every position. I'm leaning, weirdly enough, towards a Broncos upset, and it would be an upset. I'm leaning towards a Brisbane victory on Sunday night.
0: Well, that would be their first title since 2006. And, of course, uh, for that passionate, mad rugby league uh, state, that, that probably feels like 113 years uh, <laughs> waiting for another title. To the AFL, the Pies oh. up against Brisbane. You know, you know, over 100 years of history, the Pies in Brisbane. Well, had a, a golden patch a, a number of years ago, but great to see them back in a grand yeah,
1: final. Yeah, and I think, you know, we in Sydney would have loved to have seen GWS continue on their march because they've been quite a story uh, as well. You know, they've got a touch of the Warriors about them. They've turned everything around and they've just been going about their business and they were fantastic. Um, under their coach, new coach, Adam Kingsley, it was a heck of a yarn. But, wow, Collingwood at the MCG on the last Saturday in September, tick, 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 tick. If you're the <laughs> AFL, you're dead set. <laughs> you know, if you're Gil McLaughlin in your last year as as the boss, you, you, you're clicking your heels like Fred Astaire down the office on a Monday morning morning and then you've got the Brisbane Lions who as you say, they, they know about the big dance they, they know what it's going to be like I don't know how to split this one um, but I, I've, I've got the feeling that Collingwood might do this. Many years ago Dan I was reporting um, back in the old sports tonight days here on Channel 10 and it was when the Lions were going through their era and I had to go from one side of the field at the MCG to the other. Collingwood had been beaten. Mick Malthouse was out in the middle, and I quite literally had to walk right across the hallowed turf of the MCG and straight past these players. Now I wasn't a week in, week out AFL reporter at the time, and I, yeah. I knew most. You know, I knew what I knew. But I felt like I was invading their space and I felt like I was at a funeral that I shouldn't have been, to put it honestly. It, it was this extraordinary feel of a vacuum in the middle of a of a rip-roaring stadium because the pies had gone down and I got to the other end and there were the Lions going nuts in their dressing room. I remember that day for the silence of the beaten team and the noise of the winning team. I think Brisbane can do it in the NRL um, – I think the Pies might get him in the AFL. All
0: right. Well, no one knows how to finish second like the Pies. Was it 27 runners up? <laughs> over the years? Oh, harsh. <laughs> harsh. 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 Hard, but facts. Harsh, <laughs> but fair. <but> fair. <laughs> Manny, <Maddie>, absolute <laughs> treat having you on the program as always, my friend. Go enjoy uh, a monster weekend, and, and good luck uh, in the editor room deciding what you're going to talk about on your show.
1: Good on you, Dan. Thanks, mate.